You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Ka. We have some exciting prospect call-ups, a lot of multi-homer games, a lot of injury notes, and we'll be joined by pitcherless writer John Foley later on to talk about Charlie Morton. It's a packed show, but John, how are you doing? How's everything been with you? Yeah, I've been doing all right. Um, it's it's baseball season for me, essentially. The NBA Finals are over. The NHL Finals are going on right now, but yep. those should be over soon. Um, so yeah, it's full-on baseball for me for the next couple months, so that should be fun. Unfortunately, that also means that I got to deal with the Twins and just <laughs> their inability to close out games, specifically the bullpen. Um, I tweeted about this, I think, yesterday. But basically, uh, Taylor Rogers has more saves than the entire Twins bullpen. Oh. And I'm just I'm just going to leave it at that. You hate to see it. It's been so bad. That trade's really haunted you guys. Just a tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. I mean, the fact that he's out for the year because Paddock was doing okay. Right. But, Paddock was fine, but Emilio Pagan can't close out games in a mean like he has to give up a home run or walk three batters or something ridiculous like that. And I mean, John, Johan Duran has been uh, amazing. Oh, yeah. But the, the only problem is he is our bullpen. Like there's literally no one else who's reliable in a high leverage situation right now. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I can't relate because the Mets are just rolling, but yeah. I still understand because, I mean, the Mets have been like what the Twins are doing right now for a long, long time. I mean, we've had our mm-hmm. struggles, and I know exactly what you're going through and what you're yep. feeling. I'm personally feeling really good, and I haven't told the podcast listeners this yet. I talked to you on the side about it, but I have good news. I don't need to get surgery on my throat, which is just so amazing. As you all can tell, probably, that my voice sounds alive and full and has depth to it. It's incredible. It's back to normal. Pretty much, I still have to deal with the possibilities of a polyp coming up, but my latest scan due to my acid reflux medicine and my vocal rest and just taking things easy in general, I've been able to get the polyp to go away. So I've avoided surgery. So I'm absolutely ecstatic. Thanks. Don't need to do that. I could just be on the podcast, speak mm-hmm. my full self and just be happy because I talk all the time and not being able to talk or at least sound like myself was extremely depressing. So I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I mean, excited that your voice is at, you know, 100%. And yeah, we don't have to worry about if uh, your voice is going to give out on you yeah, every week now. That was a struggle, man. People who don't know the behind the scenes and stuff, it's a struggle. I mean, you guys can just go back and listen to like episode one and two of what my voice sounded like. And I warned you guys that my voice wasn't sounding itself. But now you could just tell the difference. It's so much better. This is what I normally sound like. It's hopefully enjoyable <laughs> to listen to rather than someone who is constantly dying out on every last word that they say. But before we get into everything, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your questions, comments, and concerns to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. If you want to talk to us about a certain player, review a trade that you made, or anything else fantasy-related, be sure to write to us. We really want to cover all of that, so make sure you either tweet at us or email us. And also make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We're on all of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of that good stuff. So make sure you drop a follow and leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show because it will allow other people to know that the show is good. Now let's move into the injury notes and roster moves. 
Before we get into it all, I know that nobody's complained about the length of the injury notes and roster move segment, but I just want to apologize <laughs> for it usually being very lengthy. I try to get through it as fast as possible and as clearly as possible so that all of you can know about what's going on across the league with every player, but it's hard because we do our show once a week and so much happens within that one week span across Major League Baseball. So if it's extremely long or I leave out a player, I apologize. I try to dig through everything that's happened and do a ton of research and I try to keep track of all the important stuff, but sometimes it's a lot, so bear with me. It's a part of fantasy baseball. And that's why this show is called this week in fantasy baseball. We got to recap it all. It's important. But anyways, we had a few big prospect call-ups this last week, starting with the biggest one. O'Neal Cruz was called up by the Pirates on Monday, June 20th. The six foot seven, 23 year old top shortstop prospect finally has his chance to shine in the majors. He's going to be super exciting, especially for fantasy. We'll talk about him more later, but John, did you happen to catch what he did on his actual debut this season? His throw was insane. His bases clearing double was insane. I mean, this kid is legit. I mean this in the most positive way. When that man steps up to bat, it's an absolute freak show. Like, I can't believe he's playing baseball right? as a shortstop. It's incredible. I I love O'Neal Cruz. I'm, I have him in a dynasty league. I drafted him in a bunch of my redraft leagues. And of course, when he didn't get called up, I, I promptly dropped him. So <laughs> I unfortunately don't have any shares of him in any, in any of my redraft leagues right now. But I love this man. He is so much fun to watch. I can't wait to watch him for the next 10 years play baseball. It's like if you put Kevin Durant at shortstop. That's what it looks like to me. It's just this big, lanky kid <laughs> sitting at shortstop. You're like, is he playing in the wrong position? <laughs> right. It, well, that's funny, too, because I think... You know, he had that amazing play where he just basically just gunned the ball from short to first. 97 miles per hour. Yeah. It it would be really funny if one day the Pirates are like, hey, we're like down by 10. Let's put O'Neal Cruz to pitch for us. And I just want him to throw gas. He had an interview on MLB Network and... They interviewed him after that game, and they said, your throw was 97 miles per hour, was the fastest throw by an infielder this season. The second was Bobby Witt, I believe, at 94 miles per hour. But they asked him that, and they said, if you went on the mound, do you think you could throw 100? And O'Neal, with his translator, said, oh, yeah, I could throw 100 <laughs> more than that, probably. He said, at the very minimum, I could throw 100. So, man, yeah. he could be scary. Imagine him just throwing 107 mile per hour bullets. <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I hope we never get to that point. But it would be so much fun. I watch. agree. I agree. For the sake of the Pirates fan base, I hope it doesn't get to that point. But O'Neal is exciting. I'm so excited about this kid. Moving on to a guy that's also on the Pirates. Bly Madris was also called up by the Pirates on Monday alongside Cruz. Sadly, it got overshadowed. I mean, in every way possible. O'Neal's six foot seven and just a bigger name than Bly. But Bly has a really cool name. Can't throw that away. Bly Madris is a name I've never heard before for sure. He's not as well known as O'Neal, but across two seasons in AAA, he had a 283 average, a 362 OBP, and a 461 slug with 14 homers, 75 RBI, and four stolen bases. He's probably not going to be super fantasy relevant, but hey, still exciting for Pirates fans to have two big prospect call-ups as well as Ronzi Contreras. Riley Green was called up by the Tigers on Saturday, June 18th. Green was regarded as a top 10 prospect in all of baseball and would have made the team following spring training if it wasn't for him fouling a ball off of his foot, resulting in a fracture. He's another really exciting player for fantasy purposes. Five-tool contributor. He's going to be really good. Hopefully, gives a little shot in the arm to the Tigers lineup. They've been pretty bad. I know it woke up Javier Baez, so we'll talk about that later. 
Jeter Downs was called up by the Red Sox on Wednesday, June 22nd. He gave Rafael Devers a breather at third base. He went 0-4 and then was optioned back down to AAA afterwards. So tough first break, but Jeter's a good prospect. Hopefully he gets the shine soon. C.J. Abrams was called back up by the Padres on Monday, June 20th. He's hit 314, 364, 507 with seven homers, 28 RBI, and 10 stolen bases in 30 games at AAA. So that's pretty good. Since Machado's a little banged up, Abrams is filling in for him right now. Hopefully Machado's okay. We'll speak about him in just a few seconds. But C.J. Abrams, good luck this time around in the majors. Josh Lowe was called back up by the Rays on Monday, June 20th. He struggled when he first got the call earlier this season, but he has a lot of upside and could be helpful in fantasy. He's got some pop, he's got some speed. Moving on to the non-prospect call-ups, Manuel Margot of the Rays was placed on the 60-day IL with a right knee sprain after crashing into the right field wall in Monday's game. The 27-year-old outfielder who was having a great start to the year will miss at least two months of action. Tough blow. He's been awesome, like I said, so that sucks to see Margot go down. Kevin Kiermeyer of the Rays was placed on the 10-day IL with left hip inflammation. Wander Franco of the Rays began his rehab assignment with AAA. He was previously on a double-A rehab assignment, but has moved up to AAA pitching recently. He's been out for over a month with a right quad strain. Luis Robert of the White Sox was removed from Wednesday's game with a leg injury. Tony La Russa said that Robert is considered day-to-day with leg soreness. Josh Harrison of the White Sox was removed from Thursday's game with an injured arm. That's all we know about it at the moment. It actually just happened a few moments before we started recording this podcast. So that's all we know about Josh Harrison. We'll give you an update on him next week. Aaron Savale of the Guardians was activated from the 15-day IL on Tuesday, June 21st. He's been out with glute soreness since late May, and in his first start back, he looked pretty good against the Twins. Jose Ramirez of the Guardians missed two straight games on Saturday and Sunday with a jammed right thumb. He returned to the lineup on Tuesday and continues to be his normal dominant self. Fran Mil Reyes of the Guardians was activated from the 10-day IL on Tuesday, June 21st. He missed four weeks due to a right hamstring strain. Fran Mil looked really good in his minor league rehab stint, so if a manager was forced to drop him for some reason, consider picking him up because he can give you a lot of power. Max Scherzer of the Mets pitched in a minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday, June 21st. He threw 65 pitches and is a consideration to start Sunday's game against the Miami Marlins. Be ready to activate him off the IL if so. Jeff McNeil of the Mets has missed two straight games due to discomfort in his right hamstring. The MRI showed no structural damage, so the hope is that he can avoid a trip to the 10-day IL. J.D. Davis of the Mets was hit by a pitch in the hand during Monday's game. The x-rays on his pinky finger came back negative, but he's considered day-to-day for now. Carlos Carrasco of the Mets was pulled from his start on Wednesday against the Astros due to tightness in his lower back. He was doing really bad this game, and he struggled a little bit, so hopefully he's okay. He will undergo an MRI, and his status will be updated after the result of that. Mitch Garver of the Rangers was activated from the COVID IL on Tuesday, June 21st. Ezekiel Duran of the Rangers, which this isn't an injury note, but he's been out of the lineup multiple times in the last four games against right-handed pitching. Since rookie Josh Smith has returned from the IL, he might shift into a platoon role, which is something to monitor. Duran was playing really well recently, so it's an interesting situation, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but Duran's been great if you picked him up, and this is not a very fair situation for him. So keep an eye on Duran and what his playing time looks like. Salvador Perez of the Royals aggravated his previous left thumb injury and was held out of the lineup on Wednesday night against the Angels. Manager Mike Matheny told reporters that the doctors are still trying to decide what the next step will be. Look for a temporary backup plan if you roster Perez in fantasy, but it is good news that he's not on the IL right now. 
Cattell Marte of the Diamondbacks returned to the lineup on Tuesday, June 21st from his mild left hamstring strain. He went 0-4 with a walk and then wasn't in the lineup the next day. So hopefully he'll be okay moving forward. I know he struggled with some hamstring stuff in the past. Hopefully that doesn't agitate more and keep him out for longer. Edward Cabrera of the Marlins was scratched from his scheduled rehab assignment on Wednesday, June 22nd due to a personal matter. He could rejoin the Marlins rotation in early July if his rehab assignment goes well in return from his right elbow tendonitis. Manny Machado of the Padres, as we mentioned before, was diagnosed with a left ankle sprain on Sunday, June 19th. The x-rays came back negative for any fractures, but he's missed four straight games due to it. He hasn't been placed on the IL yet, though, and it would be actually amazing if he avoids it because that's a pretty serious injury. Joe Musgrove of the Padres was activated off of the COVID IL on Thursday, June 23rd and started against the Phillies. He gave up six runs, so not a great start for Joe, but hopefully he gets back in the swing of things soon. Luke Voigt of the Padres wasn't in the lineup Thursday due to a hamstring injury. Not much more was said about that, but Padres manager Bob Melvin told reporters that Voigt could have played, but they are just playing it safe with him. George Springer of the Blue Jays underwent tests on his right elbow on Wednesday. He's been dealing with right elbow discomfort for the last couple of weeks. Keep an eye on Springer to see what his status is in the next couple days. Aaron Ashby of the Brewers was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to June 17th with left forearm inflammation. He was apparently fine and ready to make his next start. His bullpen session went good, and then bam, onto the IL. He's scheduled to throw a bullpen session on Saturday. Bryce Harper of the Phillies missed three straight games due to an infected blister on his left hand. He returns to the lineup on Wednesday, June 22nd, and it appears that the blister and infection have cleared up. Danny Jimenez of the Athletics was placed on the 15-day IL with a right shoulder strain. The MRI showed no structural damage, but he will miss some time. AJ Puck or Zach Jackson should be the fill-in for saves in the A's bullpen. I'd lean on grabbing Puck if you're in need of saves, but both are probably not going to get you many because the Athletics are not good. Jaron Duran of the Red Sox will not play in next week's series against the Blue Jays in Toronto because he is unvaccinated. That's unfortunate because Duran has been great, and if you picked him up recently, like I did in a few leagues, you won't have him for four straight games. So have a plan in place for Duran. Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals missed one game due to lower back tightness, but has been back in the lineup in the last two days and has scored four runs, hit one homer, and had three RBI. That back probably hurts due to carrying the Cardinals team, so understandable for Paul Goldschmidt to have a day off. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL with a left hamstring strain on Monday, June 20th. Anthony DiSclefani of the Giants, Tony Disco, was activated from the 60-day IL on Tuesday, June 21st. He had lingering inflammation in his right ankle and was out for two months. In his return against the Braves, he was, let's just say, shaking off the rust. He was not good. Alex Cobb of the Giants was activated from the 15-day IL on Sunday, June 19th. He was on the IL with a neck strain. Andrew Heaney of the Dodgers was activated from the 10-day IL on Sunday, June 19th as well. He was out with left shoulder discomfort. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers was placed on the 10-day IL with a cracked rib. Ouch, that's not what you want to see for Betts. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said on Sunday that he is optimistic that Betts can return in around two weeks. Hopefully that's true because he has been an MVP-type caliber player this season. So if you're missing out on Betts, I feel for you. Walker Bueller of the Dodgers was moved from the 10-day IL to the 60-day IL on Tuesday due to that right elbow injury. He just recently had surgery to remove a bone spur from his right elbow and isn't expected to resume throwing until late July or early August. Byron Buxton of the Twins missed two straight games on Wednesday and Thursday due to knee discomfort. Jeremy Pena of the Astros took some swings in the batting cage on Tuesday. 
He's been on the IL with left thumb discomfort and could return soon. And just when you thought we weren't going to mention him, Chris Bryant of the Rockies began a minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday with AAA Albuquerque. And last but not least, unfortunate news, Anthony Rendon of the Angels was placed on the 60-day IL with right wrist inflammation and will be undergoing season-ending wrist surgery. So unfortunately, there will be no Rendon bounce back this season. Tough break for the Angels. Always sucks to lose a cornerstone player like Rendon. And just not good news for anybody who rosters him for their third base slot. So hopefully you have a good replacement plan in place because he is out for the season. John, any comments on any of these injury notes or roster moves? We're kind of in the point of the season when injuries start really mattering to your team. Yep. Um, you know, usually if there's an injury in the first couple of months, um, there's enough guys on on waiver that you could probably pick up that would be able to help you out here. Um, but when you got names like, you know, Bryce Harper, Byron Buxton, Mookie Betts, um, Tyler O'Neill, Anthony Rendon, um, you, just to name a few, you know, yeah, George Springer. Oh, yeah. Salvi, you know, Jose Ramirez, you know, it, these guys are at this point, like, you know, they're not replaceable on your teams. And there's a good chance that the waiver wires are looking a little thin because yep. we kind of know who the waiver wire guys are at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's it's tough when you get these injuries because, you know, for example, Mookie, you lose him and initially it looked like he'd be out for, you know, two months. You know, now maybe if it's a two week timeline, you're not freaking out as much. Right. Um but yeah, you know, you see a lot of times when these happen, that's when you start seeing those trades in your fantasy leagues where some guys like willing to give up a lot more than what conventional wisdom would dictate for a third outfielder because Mookie just hit the IL, something like that. So it's it's an interesting time strategy wise. You know, how do you take advantage of injuries, even though they suck? You know, yep. it's an opportunity for for managers to to see the lay of their league and, and try to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them. Right. Like you said, the waiver wire and free agency is very thin at this point of the year because all of those top rookie prospects are being called up and they are rostered. And then anybody who's flourished or has done well this season, that was a breakout. They've already been picked up. So even in 10 team leagues and 12 team leagues, it's kind of bleak out there. Like Mookie Betts goes down and in a 10 team league, you're looking at like Austin Hayes to replace him, which we'll talk about. He did something pretty awesome this week, but that's your replacement. And Austin Hayes has been good this season, but it's no Mookie Betts. It's not something that you can easily replace him with. Right. So it Whereas, is that point in the season where strategy matters a little bit more. You take a look at your team. You see what you need because the deadline also comes up in about a month for some leagues due to the all-star break. Mm-hmm. And you got to make those moves to make your team ready for the playoffs if you're in contention. Yeah. It, you know, just kind of a clear example, early in the season, if you had lost Mookie Betts, say, in mid-April, you could have picked up Taylor Ward. Yep. You know, someone like and, and, you know, th- right now, those dart throws are just a little bit harder to get. Right. Someone like Adolis Garcia, who a lot of shallower leagues didn't draft. If you could mm-hmm. pick up him in light of Mookie Betts getting injured, you're looking pretty good. <laughs> But yep. now your options are not as good because we're two months into the season and there's a lot that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we get to move on to the recap articles. But just a reminder, you know, we pull all of these pitcher and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the Pitcherless website. Uh, so feel free to check those out every single day. The BatterBox and SP Roundup articles are fantastic resources. Definitely can't thank the writers enough for the work that they do. Big time. Uh, in giving us uh, basically blurbs that we can 
more or less plagiarize. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, thanks we, to those we guys. We do some research and add in our own flavor, but yeah, they do yeah, a lot of the do. work. Yeah. They, they do a yeah. lot of the work. They help us out. They do. They at least point out who's been good, so we don't have to look that hard. Yes, exactly. We don't have to dive too deep. We can expand, but they do a lot of the helping in there. Yes, exactly. So, shout out to those guys. Um, starting with the weekend, uh, June 17th to the 19th, we had Kyle Tucker of the Astros on Friday. Go two for four with a double, a home run, two runs, and two RBIs. Uh, I just remember finally the first two weeks of the season when Kyle Tucker was just really, really bad. And everyone was wondering if we'd just been duped on spending a high draft pick on a young outfielder who yep. was just going to be terrible. Um, he's definitely been paying dividends for your faith and not cunning bait as he's top 25 in homers, RBIs, and stolen bases. The Astros have also been red hot, which is great. Um, and Tucker's been a big part of that reason. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals on Saturday went three for four with a home run, three runs, and an RBI and a walk. Unlike Tucker, O'Neill has struggled to turn his game around this season, partially because of injuries. Um, you just hate to see that for a guy who is being drafted as a top 20 outfielder. Uh, Saturday's game showed a glimpse of what he could be, but just like we mentioned, he went back on IL. So uh, it's just unfortunate for O'Neill. And I mean, you hope he he heals and he's back to that form that you know allowed us to draft him that early this year. Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks on Sunday went two for four with two homers, two runs, and two RBIs. Uh, he's been a bright spot for the Snakes this year, which is quite something to say considering that his batting average is hovering around the Mendoza line. Still, he's had a 113 WRC+. Plus. He's top 10 in homers and RBIs. The flip side, of course, with Walker is that he's well below the league average in batting average and OBP. Uh, he has improved his strikeout rate this year. He is drawing more walks, so we do see some improvement. Um, but that 185 BABIP, I think we'd like to see that come back to his career average for people to really start relying on Walker in their leagues. Yeah, without a doubt. Just a comment on Kyle Tucker real quick. I tried to buy low on him everywhere. Any yeah. league that I was in that allowed trading, when he was struggling, I was throwing out offers left and right. But thankfully, which speaks to a testament of leagues I'm in, no one bit because no one's that yeah. stupid. So yeah. He well, was... he did get dropped in my home league. So Oh, <sighs> dropped? Yeah. I, and he, I, wow. he was dropped he was dropped at 2 a.m so almost no one saw it and then he got picked up immediately of course because wow he's yeah so that's uh, an impatient out, manager right there <laughs> shout out to my league uh not not some great managers but whoever was able to pick him up they have to be happy as hell right now oh yeah they are happy believe me <laughs> Uh, moving on to pitchers, uh, the baseball giveth and the baseball taketh away, and that's what happened to Lucas Giolito of the White Sox on Friday. Facing Kyle Tucker's Astros, he went five innings, eight earned runs, seven hits, three walks, and three strikeouts. Uh, when Astros mash, that means someone has to take the brunt of it. Unfortunately, that's been Giolito. Uh, his changeup has been pretty garbage this season, only a 37.1 zone rate compared to a 50.8 zone rate in 2021. Uh, if you go all the way back to some of our first uh, podcasts, we talked with Daniel Port about optimal location, and it looks like Giolito's changeup is not hitting those optimal locations right now. It's not inducing ground balls. Opponents have been finding success when they get the bat on the ball with the 407 BABIP. He hasn't had a quality start since May, and at this point, it's hard to recommend Giolito as an auto start. You still probably will start him because he's Giolito and he has that pedigree, but now it's now it's a little with a little bit more hesitance um, mm -hmm. to 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 go with him. Taiwan Walker with the Mets on Saturday went six point two innings with one earned run, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Marlins. He keeps turning in good start after good start, dominating with his slider on Saturday. The irony, of course, is that his K percent is actually down this year. Uh, so this nine K starts actually a little bit of an aberration, but he's done a good job of limiting homers. 
It's a good reason for why he has the decreased ERA and the fifth this season. I guess just keep starting Walker until it stops working. No one's going to really go for him in terms of trade bait, and I don't see a reason to drop him until he either has a really bad matchup or it just turns into dud like Walker we would expect. Uh, and then Shane Bieber of the Guardians on Sunday went 6.1 innings with two and runs, seven hits, one walk, and nine Ks against the Dodgers of all teams. A lot of ink has been spilled on Bieber's decreased velocity on his fastball, and yet he still managed to find a way to succeed this season. His slider is still just as good, and he's throwing it more often. It's actually his most thrown pitch uh, in this start against the Dodgers at 46%. The curveball was also good, turning into 43.5% CSW. He's dealing like an ace even with this decreased velocity. Um, and even after a few early season struggles, uh, Bieber is back to being the ace that you've expected him to be for the past couple seasons. Uh, it just happens that he has a slower fastball now. Yeah, Giolito struggles are really bad. If anybody invested a lot of stock in him this season, he hasn't been doing too great. It's a mix of a lot of things, but the ground balls not being there, he's given up a lot of fly balls, the zone rates off. I mean, Giolito I'm a little bit nervous about because I've drafted him in a few money leagues and I love Gilito. I think he's great, and he's also a great human, and he's also a great MLB The Show player. So I like a lot of things about Gilito, but he is just off this year, and you don't like to see yeah. that. Taiwan Walker, this is back-to-back amazing strikeout performances for him. He had 10 yep. strikeouts against the Angels last week, yep. and then mm-hmm. nine against the Marlins this week. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. Taiwan Walker's rolling, and he's not a big strikeout guy. He's got 44 strikeouts in 59 innings right now, so... You're not even getting a strikeout per inning, but hey, if something happened where he's feeling healthy and good and he's on a roll, maybe he does strike out maybe a batter per inning. So keep an eye out on Walker. And Bieber's been succeeding even though his velocity's down. So kudos to you, Mm -hmm. Bieber. Tip of the cap. Yep. Yeah, one thing to add about Giolito too, um, I was talking with uh, Alexander Chase of uh, Pitcherless and Dugout Study Hall uh, about a month ago about Giolito, and he was mentioning how Giolito's stuff metrics, right, the the kind of the, the... I like to call it voodoo magic that, you know, we don't really completely understand, but it's all in the computers and the formulas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His stuff metrics have actually been down this season. Okay. You know, back back to the, the early part of the season. And so it's not that like Giolito was definitely gonna suck like like we're like this performance. Right. But he he hasn't had the stuff, according to the computers. Um and we're starting to see the fruition of that where it's just not working anymore and good teams are teeing off on it. Yeah. It's tough to see. I really want Giolito to succeed, and a lot of people yeah. drafted him as an ace, so hopefully he can return that soon because time's running out, buddy. Mm-hmm. But moving on to Monday, June 20th, from the Batter's Box article, Cruise Control by Mark Stubinger. We're talking about the title boy, O'Neal Cruz of the Pirates. In his season debut, he went two for five with a double, two runs, and four RBI. Pirates fans, and myself included, have been waiting for O'Neal Cruz to finally play in the majors this year. He's an incredible athlete. As we said before, he's six foot seven, and he is launching balls, not just with his bat, but also with his arm. He threw a 97-mile-per-hour bullet to first base on... It wasn't really a routine play. It was a little bit more difficult, but he gunned it over to first to throw the fastest ball from an infielder this season. Second, like I said, was Bobby Witt at 94, and O'Neill's was 97. And it looked easy. It looked like he just did it flawlessly. So yeah. just a freak athlete. In AAA, he slashed 232, 336, 422 with nine homers and 11 stolen bases. I don't think the average is something to pull from. A lot of people I've heard on the radio and a lot of people talking about it, oh, he's got a 232 average, he's not good. 
if you look back on all of his previous minor league stuff, he's batting like 300, 280. Like, sure, he slashed 232, and he's been bad this season in AAA, but he started off really poorly, and then in his last 30 games, he went off, and he was heating up. So he corrected mm-hmm. something at the plate, but it's looking good in the majors right now. He's been pretty good. The knock on Cruz, though, has been that he just hits a lot of ground balls, but you'll take the growing pains if he plays like a 30-30 player for the rest of the season because... Hey, he's got unlimited upside. This guy could be Aaron Judge from the shortstop position. Moving on to Andrew Benintendi of the Royals. He went two for four with a home run, two runs, two RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. Benintendi was supposed to be a 2020 guy. That was always the caveat to him going from his prospect pedigree to the majors. Everyone's like, oh, he's a great contact guy, 2020. But finally, This season, got his third homer and first steal on Monday, which is not good. Not something you want to see from a potential, quote-unquote, 2020 guy. His barrel percentage has been well below last year's mark, but at least he's making contact. He's striking out less, and he's walking more. You'd like to see a little bit more counting stats come with those improvements, but right now, Benintendi is just an empty batting average. I'm disappointed because I really like Benintendi, and Mm -hmm. he was great last season. He was much better than a lot of people thought he was. And this season, he's just not giving you any counting stats. And in fantasy, that's sadly all that matters. Right. Yeah. I mean, if I, I'm in a league where it, it counts OBP and slugging. And even then, like, Ben Attende is just not worth it. You can't there. roster him in that. You just can't. No. Yeah. And I guess another note on O'Neill Cruz, we've talked about him a ton. But I just hope whoever's playing at first for the Pirates just has an extra thick glove. Because <laughs> if you're just going to be catching, like, 90-plus mile-an-hour bullets every single day now for the rest of the, the season... Uh, yeah, I just hope they got some a little extra padding there. Yeah, he needs one of those marshmallow pillow suits and uh, an yeah. extra padded glove. <laughs> yeah, give him a catcher's mitt to be completely yeah, honest. Yeah. I think that's what I'll need. Put him in catcher's gear and a catcher's mitt and just throw him yeah. out the first. Good luck, buddy. Spot yeah, that. Exactly. And not for nothing, the throw is super accurate, too. That was dead on oh, the money. Completely. Yeah. Right to the glove, 97, flawless. Crazy. Yeah. Moving on to the pitchers for Monday. We've got the SP Roundup article, Peter Don't Grab It by Nick Pollock. We'll start off with Logan Webb of the Giants. He went seven innings pitch, one earned run, six hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts versus the Braves. Webb hasn't reached the levels that he set last year with a career-high strikeout rate and an absurdly low fly ball rate. His ratios aren't exactly what you expect from an ace. And yet when Webb has a start like this on Monday against Atlanta, when the slider and changeup were inducing outs while the sinker had a 41.4% CSW, it's hard to be disappointed. There's a formula here that Webb can continue to follow to shut down opposing offenses, even if it comes with less strikeouts than we'd like. And hopefully it pans out because Logan Webb was someone that was coming off of an astronomically hyped up postseason performance, and his draft value was very high. So if you did pay that value, he's kind of been okay. It's kind of paid off at that value. You probably got him in what, the seventh, sixth, eighth round, somewhere around there. And it's probably paying off well, but you'd like to see more out of Webb, of course. And then Noah Syndergaard of the Angels, my boy, went 7.1 innings pitch, 5 earned runs, 8 hits, 2 walks, 5 strikeouts versus the Royals. Thor's been a shade of his former self, and if you look at his pitcherless player page, he's pretty much league average in every metric. This specific start was probably more of an example of the bullpen, as Thor had only given up 3 earned runs in 7 innings of work, but he came back out for the 8th and promptly gave up a 2-run homer to Salvi. You could probably do a lot worse than Syndergaard for the rest of the season, but you could also probably do a lot better. Syndergaard is near and dear to my heart as a Met fan. I watched this kid grow up. I watched this kid become Thor, essentially. 
Shout out to R.A. Dickey for returning the best possible trade ever. We got Cindergard, <laughs> Darno. It was just amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. So I just, I've always loved Cindergard. I met him in person. There's a picture on my Instagram with me with him. And he signed a jersey for me. Just a side note, I don't even know if you know this, John, but I probably have the world's largest Noah Cindergard card collection, shamelessly. Wow. And I've spent way too much money on that. And it's probably not <laughs> worth that value anymore. But. I truly do love Noah Syndergaard. I love watching him pitch. He's one of my favorite pitchers in baseball. I really want to see him do better. I kind of don't yep. just because he signed a one-year deal with the Angels and not with the Mets. But I want him to do better. I want the Mets to get him back. I just I love Syndergaard as a person. He's a great dude. Really funny on Twitter. Like we said, you could probably do a lot better on the wire or just in general. Syndergaard is a different pitcher now. He's not that 100-mile-per-hour fastball, blow it by you, 10 strikeouts in a game. He's more of a pitcher now. He throws with less velocity and he spots his stuff a little bit better, but he's more hittable. So that's what yeah. you just have to eat with Noah Syndergaard right now. Yeah, I, I was actually watching this game um, and I mean, he, he came out to the eighth. I think he had pitched like 80-ish uh, pitches. So it made sense why they, they left him in. Right. Um, but if he didn't come in for the eighth and the Angels could actually rely on their bullpen to finish a game for them. He would have a seven inning start, three and runs, eight hits, two walks, five Ks. Like that's not terrible. That's, no, that's a quality fine. start. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like a lot of strikeouts. You don't love the whip, but it's a quality start. And yep. I think you want you you'd appreciate that from Syndergaard. It's just unfortunate that like yeah, they the Angels don't love their bullpen right now, and so they're like Thor. You've pitched eighty ish pitches. You can definitely finish the eighth. And you know Thor's probably okay with that. Right. Um. It just sucked that he gave up a, a home run to Salvi. Yeah, especially coming off Tommy John surgery and building back up and pretty much reinventing himself as a pitcher. You would mm -hmm. take a quality start all day. Six innings, three yep. runs. I'd take that all the time. Give me a few strikeouts yeah. too. I'm good with that. Right. Where he was going in drafts, that you, yeah, you'll totally go with he that. He was essentially free. Yep. Well, moving on to Tuesday, uh, first starting with hitters, uh, the batter box article, Paredes by the dashboard light uh, from Jim Chatterton. Uh, we're going to start off with Matt Olson of the Braves. Went two for five with two homers, two runs, five RBIs. Uh, Olsen hit four hard hit balls on Tuesday, including two over the fence, bringing his total up to 10 homers for this year. Uh, honestly, he's just not showing the same power that he did last year with his near 40 home run season. Uh, he's been slashing 221, 302, 429 in June, which really isn't the level that you want from Olsen. It's okay, but it's not great. He is mashing the ball hard. Uh, we just would like them to turn into homers as opposed to outs. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals went four for four with two homers, two runs, and four RBIs. Both of Gorman's homers registered over 107 miles an hour, just showing the power potential for the rookie. Uh, he has, I think, like 65, 70 grade power, so it's not like lights out, but it's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been somewhat lucky this season, though, with a 41% line drive rate and a 370 BABIP. You kind of expect those numbers to go down. Um, but he's been a solid contributor for both the cards and your fantasy teams. He just can't complain to get that from a rookie. Yep. And then Shohei Otani of the Angels, three for four, two home runs, two runs, eight RBIs. There's honestly not a lot we can say about Shohei that hasn't already been said. He's provided pretty much all the offense for the Angels on Tuesday. <laughs> and while he may not be on the same pace of his MVP season, he still has 15 homers, 45 RBIs, and seven steals. Uh, now, if only the Angels could win a few games that we could see this guy play in October, that would just be so much fun. Yeah, Tuesday was really the multi-homer day. I mean, Olsen, Gorman, and Otani all hit two home runs each. Pretty insane. We also had on Wednesday, which we'll talk about, but a few more players hit two home runs each. So a lot of multi-homers going on, as I mentioned in the beginning. 
But for Shohei, I mean, this is incredible. I mean, eight RBI, are you kidding me, in one game? Yeah. I hate it because, of course, in two head-to-head leagues, I'm against him. But I have him in a big money league, so I will take it. It's just unfortunate that in my head-to-head leagues that he's roasting me. But what more can we say about Otani on the mound, at the plate? He's incredible. He's the most talented player in baseball, undisputed. Yeah. For Nolan Gorman... He's been sitting against left-handed pitching, and you hate to see it because you want him to get better against left-handed pitching, and how is he supposed to do that if he can't face left-handed pitching? So in a redraft league, it's hard to roster this guy. He's been so good. His strikeout rate is always going to be a little bit high. It was very high in the minors. Gorman's been great when he's playing against right-handed pitching, but against lefties, he's sitting. And in a redraft league and towards playoff run time, I don't know if you can roster a guy like that if he's only going to give you four or five games a week. So... Something to keep an eye on. And then Matt Olson, he has been hitting the ball so hard. I want you guys to not give up on him because he is incredible. And sure, he's only at 10 home runs, but soon he'll hit a stride where he hits a bunch. And all of a sudden, he'll be top five in homers in the league. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, Olson's that guy because he leads the league in doubles. His hard hit percentage is insane. His exit velocity is insane. All of his baseball savant numbers are great. So Matt Olson, really, really good. Don't give up on him. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's also tough, too, because people are just going to perennially compare him to Freddie Freeman. Always. And, it's, yeah, it's just tough for the kid. Yep. Um, moving on to pitchers, uh, one more Civ turn from Nick Pollock. I love that title, by the way. Yeah, very um, good. I, I know that that addiction too well. Uh, <laughs> Civilization, for those who don't yes. understand, is a, is a computer game. Yep. Uh, but Dylan Cease of the White Sox went six innings, zero on runs, one hit, two blocks, and 11 Ks against the Blue Jays. Uh, we won't fault you if you thought Cease was going to blow up against the Jays. He's consistently just had a few good starts and a bad start and a good start and a bad start. Just repeat ad nauseum. <laughs> uh, his slider was on fire, though, uh, on Tuesday. He threw it 50 times, which is insane. Sheesh. Got 18 whiffs on it. Uh, he also only walked two batters, which is really the biggest knock of Cease's game. He just walks guys too much. Uh, but if he can continue dealing with the slider and decreasing that walk rate, uh, hopefully he won't be as inconsistent and you can actually rely on this guy every single start. And then Zach Allen of the Diamondbacks went six innings with two in runs, five hits, three walks, and 11 strikeouts also against the Padres. The changeup was working really well for Gallon. He had eight whiffs on it. Uh, and the curveball was also working too. Got nine whiffs on that as well. Uh, the fastball also got 18 called strikes. Kind of crazy. Um, this is that three-pitch combo that just works magic for Zach Callen. We talked about this uh, about a month ago in our interview. If they're all working together like this, he's going to be a dominant pitcher. And if you can get the cutter-slider combo to work out, like, whew, that that's going to be amazing. But, yeah, with this three-pitch combo, he's still got 11 strikeouts against the Padres, so it's, that's good to see. Yeah, both these guys have huge upside, and these two starts are very good and indicative of what they can do. So these guys mm-hmm. are pretty awesome. But... Now we move on to Wednesday, June 22nd, from the Batter's Box article, Purple Haze by Dave Swan. Once again, talking about the poster boy, Austin Hayes. As we mentioned earlier, he did something special, and that special something was the cycle. He went four for four with a single, a double, a triple, a homer, three runs, and three RBI. Hayes hit for the first cycle in his career. Obviously, he's very young, so obviously it's going to be his first. On Wednesday, in the order of single, homer, triple, double. All of those came before the sixth inning as well, which is really cool to know that only two-thirds of the game is gone and you've already hit for the cycle, so nice little reassurance there for him. It looks like Hayes has figured out MLB pitching. He's swinging more and making more contact in the zone than he ever had before. Hayes' StatCast page doesn't look pretty. He's quite average across the board in every advanced metric, but he's producing and is worthy of being rostered in 12-team leagues or deeper. Even some 10-team leagues with multiple utility slots or five outfield slots, 
Austin Hayes has been pretty good. He's been pretty serviceable. So congratulations on the cycle, Austin, and hopefully you can keep this up because you've been hitting very well for a not-so-great Orioles team. And then Javier Baez of the Tigers, he went two for three with a home run, a run, two RBI, and a walk. Don't look too quickly, but Javier Baez is quietly getting hot. He's homered in three of his last five games and has two steals in that time as well. Since June 16th, Baez is 11 for 27 and has even walked a couple of times, which is an astronomical thing for him. But like Hayes, his advanced stats look terrible. The only decent thing going for him is his max exit velocity being in the 83rd percentile. However, we've seen Baez do this hundreds of times before. Despite not impressing on Savant, he has a power and speed combo that can help you in your fantasy leagues. If you bought low on him, if you were patient with him, congratulations, because he's finally doing something. And then also, shout out to these three studs who each hit two home runs on Wednesday, Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, and Carlos Correa. Just absolute stud performances from them, but didn't want to talk too much about them because I feel like we talk about them a lot. John, anything to add on Correa or any of these guys? Yeah, uh, I get that baseball's hard, but Correa, why couldn't you hit that homer in the bottom of the ninth the yeah. game before when there was two men on base? Yep. And you could have just walked it off for the first time as a twin. <laughs> just Would have been oh, a cool man. moment. But he struck out instead. Yep. Um, and it's funny with Javier Baez. I've just been kind of thinking about this more and more. He's like one of those guys who's like weirdly like a good roto guy, but a bad head-to-head guy. Yep. Because of how streaky he is. 100%. Like, like at the end of the season, we're going to look at Baez's stat line. I mean, it's not going to be good this season, but we're going to look back on it and be like, oh, okay, he was decent. And everyone who had him in a head-to-head is just like, no, he was hot garbage for like... <laughs> of the season it's so Um, true yeah bias man it's i mean yeah congrats if you you were willing to stay the course with this guy but yeah yeah, he can be frustrating yeah i always avoid him in head-to-head leagues for that very reason it's just at the end of the year it gets there the roto stats are there but head-to-head it's like man what are you doing (laughs) you're batting 68 (laughs) yeah it's it's like it's like rostering miguel sano yep i mean not that you really ever should but it's like at the end of the season, oh, look, he has 30 home runs, but he hit, like, 10 of those in three weeks. Yeah, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and all the other weeks, he batted 140. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's it's Ugh. it's rough for these kinds of players. I have a soft spot for Miguel Sano, obviously, but he does frustrate me in fantasy. Oh, I bet. I bet. But moving on to pitchers for Wednesday from the article Scuba Diving from Nick Pollock. We start with Keegan Thompson of the Cubs. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Pirates. He had a 30% CSW and threw 94 pitches, so really good start from Keegan Thompson. He's had a really good season so far. I actually wasn't aware of how well he was doing or even who he was until about a month ago (laughs) when I made a sports bet in Vegas. I took the White Sox over the Cubs in a parlay, and the Cubs pitcher was TBD, and it ended up being Thompson. And then I looked into him, and I was like, this guy's good. Why was this a last-minute decision to start this guy? What, What is this? So I... Obviously lost that bet because Thompson was great. And I think Johnny Cueto was starting that game. And he was okay, but not as good as Keegan Thompson. For the season, Thompson has had a 3.10 ERA and a 1.15 whip, along with seven wins and 55 strikeouts and 61 innings pitched. Pretty good. I think that he makes for a great streamer in a good matchup. But he's not someone that I'd fully commit a roster spot to. But that's a name if you didn't know, Keegan Thompson. I think he's probably the best streamer you're going to get across all of your leagues. I think whenever he's pitching in a good matchup, he's a must-add for me. Yeah, it was kind of funny with uh, Keegan because I actually picked him up as, as a stream in one of my leagues. I was like, oh, you know, this guy's going against the, the Pirates. He has some okay stats. And yeah, it worked out. And 
just kind of going back to a tweet that I put out earlier this week. Egan was the streamer of the day in uh, Nick's uh, articles, if you kind of follow those, the, the streamer articles. Uh, it's not that hard, in my opinion, to figure out who a good streamer is on roster resource. And the only problem, of course, is just will they work out? The matchups, you can always find them. It's just the question of will they work out? And lucky for us, it worked out for us with Keegan Thompson on Wednesday. Don't give them all the secrets, though, John, because they have to stay till the end of the show so that uh, they true. can see the streamers. So roster yeah. resource doesn't exist, everybody. Don't go and map <laughs> it out. Keep reading picture list. Keep, keep listening yeah. to our show till the very end. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. We were giving you guys advice, but just don't take it. Just don't take Just listen <laughs> to us. Listen to the picture list stuff. You're good. You know, you can check roster resource after you listen to all of our content. But... Right. <laughs> Charlie Morton of the Braves also had a fantastic start. Seven innings pitched, two earned runs, three hits, no walks, 11 strikeouts, 14 whiffs, and a 37% CSW against the Giants. This makes four straight outings where Morton has had incredible stuff and looked like himself. I swear that around this time last year is when he started rebounding from his horrible start then as well. This time it makes a bit more sense with the injury that he's coming off of, but still pretty strange how two seasons in a row he started off horribly and then around the same time righted the ship. We'll be talking more about Morton with John Foley very shortly, so I won't go on much longer about him, but it's great to see this from Charlie. We love when he's good. He's a top 20 pitcher going into the year, and hopefully he performs like that the rest of the way through. And then lastly, Shohei Otani just had an unbelievable performance, struck out a career-high amount of batters. Just I, I was watching that start basically for like the second half of the game, and it was just, he's, he's incredible. He's just, without a doubt, the most talented player in baseball. You cannot yeah, debate it, that. Uh, if you follow Sarah Langs on Twitter, she's kind of a MLB journalist. Uh, she's a I think great she's with, she's with MLB Network right now, I think. Um, but yeah, she had a fun tweet about how Otani is the first person to uh, to get eight RBIs and then the next game strike out uh, 10 plus batters. And I just think that's it's just wild that I mean, obviously, we don't get that many two way players. So uh, it's not surprising that Otani is the first guy to do that. Um, but it's just it's just incredible to be watching baseball right now. So I actually like that tweet by Sarah Langs, and she's a great follow on Twitter. Make sure that you follow her. She wrote eight RBI yesterday, 10 strikeouts today, which he actually had 13. I guess she just wrote that meaning 10 plus strikeouts yep. for Shohei Otani. He's the first player since RBI became an official stat in 1920 with eight plus RBI and 10 plus strikeouts in consecutive games in either order. Only one other player has even tallied each total in a game in a career or season, and that was 1966. I don't know how to say his last name. It kind of sounds like a bad word, but I'm going to say Tony Cloninger. So hopefully that wasn't butchered, <laughs> but that's incredible. Shohei Otani is unbelievable. We're lucky. That's all oh, I'm yeah. going to say. It's we're, we're lucky. great to be on this timeline watching Shohei Otani play baseball. Yeah. Well, then moving on to Thursday, uh, we got a couple... Great performances. Uh, Alex Bregman of the Astros uh, went two for four with a home run, three RBIs against the Yankees. Uh, let's be honest, though. Bregman has not been very good this season. Nope. He is slashing 209, uh, 349, 394. He's barely above league average in most of his metrics, but he still has that elite K rate and walk rate. So he is getting on base at a decent clip. Uh, it just isn't coming with a decent amount of counting stats that you'd expect from Bregman. Yep. Um, so it's just kind of unfortunate, especially because last year I was actually really high in Bregman. I thought he was an MVP candidate, and he just completely uh, lost it. So Yeah, um, big time. 
yeah, injuries was was a part of that, but it, it's yeah, it's tough to see with a guy who, frankly, you know, we we think we think he's in his prime right now, and he's just kind of struggling at the plate. Yeah, I was out on Bregman last season just because I want to see it more than once before I fully buy into somebody, and he has the yeah, prospect sure. pedigree. He's very mm-hmm. talented, but then he stunk. And then this season, I actually really liked his value because yep. he was going a little later, mm-hmm. but I still didn't believe in him. I still didn't grab him in any places, actually, because I just feared that it would continue, and it kind of has. I'm sad to mm-hmm. say it, but he's been bad. Yeah, I have him in a points league, and there's like times where I'm like, I don't know if I want to start Bregman. Ultimately, he like kind of returns dividends on that, but right. um, yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of roster him in a league, especially if average is one of your categories. Yeah, I think if any league he's okay in, it's probably points leagues. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, then Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers went three for four with a home run, three RBIs, three runs, and a stolen base against the Reds. Yep. Uh, it, that's great, but don't call it a comeback. Yeah. Uh, Bellinger is still bad. Uh, I was like hoping that there was going to be something good that I could speak about Bellinger, and then I looked up his line in June, and he's batting 186. Yep. Um, and it's just tough to see. Uh, this, I, I wish we knew what was wrong. Um, it just seems he's been a shell of himself since. I mean, weirdly, since that, you know, celebration where he, you know, he does this thing where he, you know, locks elbows with the guy and then yep. tweaked something and he hasn't been the same since. And it just sucks. Can we stop with the whole weird celebration things that injured players? Because, like, yeah. I was scared. I don't know if you guys know. Obviously, we've talked about it. But Bryce Harper has a slight tear in his elbow. And yeah. he when he hits a homer, he does this thing where he, like, flexes. Like, just imagine someone flexing and then, like hits arms with somebody that can't be good for your injury right dude like <laughs> please stop doing that just a fist bump or something like right. you're, you're scaring me out here yeah baseball as like a non-contact sport just surprisingly has a lot of dumb injuries like oh, i remember was it like howie kendrick broke his leg when he hit a game-winning home run and the team like mobbed him and then he broke his leg oh no no plate. that was kendris morales oh kendris morales that's right kendris morales yeah yeah that injury was ridiculous uh, you just... see blake snell coming out of the shower moving furniture like what, all these things are crazy max scherzer's yeah. dog bit him on the hand like these injuries right. are so weird yeah i don't want to blame a bad celebration for why cody bellinger is just not good anymore but of course not. he he hasn't been the same since so no, yeah he's been really bad but he still makes for the best meme content because every time you pan the camera over to him he looks like he's high on a spaceship <laughs> in a different stratosphere so yeah he, he at least is just enjoying his time as a baseball major yes. league baseball player yeah you can't knock yeah. him for that yep well then moving on to dansby swanson of the braves uh went three for four with three runs two home runs three rbis and a walk against the giants uh, since he was moved up to the number two spot in the lineup, Swanson is batting 355, 418, 545. That's all-star numbers. That's almost MVP numbers right there. Uh, he's had hit, hit five homers, five stolen bases. He has a 36% hard contact rate. Crazy. It's crazy to believe that this guy was stuck at the back of the lineup for two months. Like, he was batting seventh, eighth, ninth, ninth for Atlanta. And when they moved it up to the two spot, oh my goodness, Danzy Swanson is good. And... If you were able to pick him up off waiver wires early in the season, congratulations because he was he was basically free in yep. your drafts. Yep, he's been so good. It's crazy. Shortstop is so deep, and even with the struggling Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson getting hurt a few times, and some shortstops have have gone awry, but shortstop is so deep, man. You have O'Neill Cruz being called up. You have Tommy Edmond getting shortstop eligibility. You have Jeremy Pena having a breakout rookie season. You have Dansby Swanson breaking out 
which is crazy because you just always assumed Andrew Swanson's just the same guy. And now look mm-hmm. at him. I mean, he's got 12 home runs and 11 stolen bases. I mean, he's insanely good. And you've got him pretty much free. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then moving on to pitchers, uh, Frankie Montas of the A's uh, went eight innings with two hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against the Mariners. He had a, a, a no-hitter going into the eighth inning, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and then, unfortunately, if you have him in a win-loss league, he didn't get the win because the A's bullpen is terrible, and they couldn't keep men off base, and they couldn't stop throwing well pitches and letting runs come in. So it's a sucks to see for Montas. I just hope he gets traded. To the Mets. Yeah, to the Mets, to the Twins, just somewhere where he gets run support. Yep, and he can get those wins because the the formula is there. And uh, you know, for Montas especially, like he was dealing today. Um, It was kind of weird though because he didn't have as many whiffs. He wasn't like he got eight strikeouts, but he wasn't like dominating in terms of the the strikeout uh, area. Right, he was just getting guys out, and it worked out. And that's kind of sometimes what you want to see from your aces. They don't have their stuff. And they still managed to give you a great start. Yeah, it's a shame Danny Jimenez got injured because I think he would have closed this one out fine. He's been okay for the time being, but that yeah. rest of the bullpen is just disgustingly bad. Matz, so, come to the Mets. We've got a pretty decent bullpen. We're winning. We want you, buddy. Come on down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess the Twins bullpen's not that good right now, so maybe we can't close games for you. But, well, you know, we'll do our best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a reliable pitch. I don't mind that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, then Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers in his third start back from the IL uh, went six innings with seven hits, one earned run, seven Ks. Uh, just nice to see from Kersh. Uh, he was up to eighty pitches today, and then they took him out. So he still probably has a little bit of way to build up, but it's good to see that he's able to go six at least. Um, the slider was working for him. Uh, he was able to get swings with his curveball. Uh, overall had 11 whiffs, so, you know, maybe not like the whiff-heavy game that we're all expecting to see from Kirsch. Uh, but it's still a good thing to see from him that he is back, and I think the Dodgers are going to need him to be really, really good for the rest of the season. Uh, we kind of talked about that last week with, with Bueller going on IL. Um, they just need they just need uh, Kirsch to stabilize their rotation, and I think he's doing that, so it's good to see. Yeah, you just want to see Kershaw have a few more good years, solidify his Hall of Fame status, which he's already a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, and just go out a legend, you know? It would be awesome to see, because mm-hmm. Kershaw's been one of the best pitchers of the generation that I've gotten to watch, so yep. it's been very, very cool to follow his career. Yeah, it's crazy that I think he's only, like, 33, 34. Right? Isn't it cra- have- I was just talking about this the other day, how, like, the end of your baseball career is, like, 36. I'm six years away from that, and I'm like, <laughs> I need to do something else. <laughs> like, right. Meanwhile, we're going to talk about Charlie Morton, who's 38 and just dominating right now. Yep. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about with Charlie Morton, which leads us into this. We will take a quick break now. And when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer John Foley to talk about Charlie Morton. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and this time joined by pitcherless writer John Foley to talk about his article, Digging Into Charlie Morton's Uncle Charlie. John, welcome back to the show. It's your second time as well. Last week, we had Sam Lutz back on the show it was his second time, and now it's your second time. So welcome back. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. What have you been up to recently? How have you been? I've been doing good. been doing good. Hey, I'm a Twins fan. It's been a tough week uh, with the series with the Guardians. We were just talking about that offline a little bit with the bullpen struggles there. But uh, things are good. Uh, staying plenty busy. I'm looking at a lot of different stuff uh, for the site and other places. So it's good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get into the interview, John, please let the people know who might have not caught your first interview what you do at PitcherList, how long you've been working for PitcherList, what team you root for. You said you were a Twins fan, but 
maybe go deeper on that and your fantasy experience. Yeah, so uh, so I primarily write for the going deep section of the pitcher list site. So I've been doing that for, since about Christmas time or so uh, last winter. So uh, every other week or so, put out an analysis piece on a different topic or a different player. And uh, last couple, I've uh, been looking at some pitchers. So Charlie Morton, I think we're going to talk a little bit about that today. That was one that I did uh, at the start of June. Uh, also write, I'm a Twins fan, you're right, uh, lifelong in that way. Uh, so I've been writing about the twins at Twinkie Town, the SB Nation site there for a couple of years. Same kind of stuff, do a lot of data analysis and, and trend analysis kinds of things uh, for the site there. Um, but obviously been a huge baseball fan for a long time. I played for a long time, but, you know, right-handed pitcher pushed my uh, pushed my career to the internet pretty quickly. So you know how that goes. So Oh, yeah. My whole life's been on the internet, so I know that better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but if people don't know, I still think that it's absolutely crazy that we have two Johns right now on the show. Obviously, John, our co-host, who's always here, and John, the guest, they're both Twins fans. Two Johns, two Twins fans. World. I mean, John's a yeah. common name, and the Twins are a popular team. They're a sports team. So it's not too crazy, but I still think it's pretty wild that we have two Twins fans named John right now on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, they totally planned it out that way. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Well, small world, right? There's we, lots of us. You don't we know write the scripts. Yeah, dozens. Dozens. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, well, before we get uh, even more sidetracked, um, like you mentioned, John, we're going to be talking about Charlie Morton. Um, and you wrote an article about him back in the you know, early June, um, and he's done really well. So we don't want this to feel like a victory lap. So just to remind people where Charlie Morton was at this season, in March and April, he had an ERA of seven which I think is not a good number. Probably um, not. <laughs> yeah. He improved in May to a 4.6 ERA, uh, but he was still struggling, like walking people. He had a pretty high whip. It just wasn't looking great. But he's been dominating in June since you've written this article. Um, so props to you for catching that. Um, but your article was interesting in that it focused mainly on Morin's most dominant pitches, his curveball. How does his curveball work with his pitch mix in general? that makes him so dominant even at, you know, the ripe old age of 38. Yeah, right. I mean, he's a fascinating story and, you know, guy reinvented himself a couple of different times throughout his career. I mean, if you think back 10 years ago or, you know, really his breakout happened like 2015, 2016 when he went mm -hmm. to Houston. But yep. prior to that, he was a sinker baller, right? So he pitched for the Pirates, which they teach everybody to throw sinkers, you know, those kind of things. And so he was, you know, 50, 60% sinker baller guy, ground balls, didn't strike anybody out, those kind of things. And then he goes to Houston and they said, hey, you know, maybe don't let him hit it. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, which, you know, they were sort of at the forefront of all of that kind of stuff. And so when he went there, a big time shift in terms of, hey, four seamers up, right? Curveballs mm -hmm. down. And he's always been able to spin the baseball, even when he was a sinker baller guy, like good spin, you know, good feel for a breaking ball, those kind of things. And so they're just maximizing stuff that he was already good at. The thing that's interesting about Morton that's a little bit different, right? So a lot of times in this, you know, this modern pitching approach, you get the, you know, okay, it's the high, high riding fastball with the breaking balls down, right? And it's a very kind mm -hmm. of up and down vertical kind of thing, right? Yep. Morton's a little different in that he does the four seamer up and the, and the breaking ball down, but his are more horizontal breaking, right? So he's got a ton of arm side run 
on on his forcing fastball. So, you know, he throws it up, but it's boring in on the right handers. You know, it's a little bit of that old sinker baller still, but it's the four seamer. And then his his breaking ball is more of a sweeper, right? So it's a it's a curveball, but it's not a 12-6. It's much more of a horizontal, you know, one of the most horizontal breaking curveballs in right. baseball per the stat cast measurements year over year. And so you kind of pair those two things together. They break in opposite ways, mm-hmm. both horizontally in terms of the spread, but also sort of in this diagonal way, right, where, you know, it's it's up and down in that way. And so it's sort of a unique kind of combination uh, with those two things. But, you know, the curveball has been his best pitch by run values and batting average and all that stuff really since he was in Houston, except for uh, this April and May for whatever right. reason, right? And so he really had a lot of trouble with the curveball. I mean, you know, it was just getting hit all of a sudden, batters could suddenly elevate it in a way that they never had been able to before. And they were not swinging and missing at it before. And it was really strange. Right. But that's, that's been his bread and butter is those two pitches. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm just looking at his player page actually on, on pitcherless and it's nice because we have the gifs of his pitch. You know, if you didn't look carefully enough, it, it looks like a slider. There's just, you know, not enough horizontal break for me to classify it as that. Um, but it is interesting how he uses that. Um, but yeah, you know, his swinging strike rates were down a little bit this year. Overall, the average was up on the pitch this year. Um, but it at least, you know, he's kind of executing that blueprint recently, right? That's kind of what we've been seeing over these past few starts. Yeah, I mean, the the plan really didn't change. And, and what I was curious about is, to your guy, I mean, you started, he's 38, right? A lot of innings on that arm over the years. Uh, he also broke his leg last year in the World Series, right? So right. I was curious, yep. like, is there like a stuff change here, right? Mm, is yep. that what's really the issue early on? But the velocity was the same. The spin was still tremendous on both the fastball and the curve. I mean, it's over 3,000 RPMs on the curveball. Mm-hmm. It's like 99th percentile. It's nuts. You know, I mean, it, it's still the same kind of stuff, right? So mm-hmm. I'm like, there's not a lot of difference here other than, it just wasn't being executed in the same kind of way. You, you know, early on he got hurt because he left a few of those more over the middle um, and and those kind of things. But from just a raw kind of the data on the stuff, the spin, all that stuff was the same. And so it's just like, this is an execution challenge. Like he's still the same guy. Right. right. And so then it's a question of, okay, well, what's the problem with the execution? Can it be fixed? Those kinds of questions. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier in the podcast as well. I think that, it's pretty wild because last year, Charlie Morton struggled from the beginning month till about now. Yeah. And yep. then the same thing happened this year, but his stuff wasn't any different. His stuff was still elite. He still had the curveball and the RPMs and everything was working really well. But he struggled for the first month or two in both mm-hmm. last season and this season. So it's weird to see him take like two months to get into it. This year makes more sense because of the injury he came off of. But I thought it was pretty wild to see that his stuff hasn't changed, but he struggled. And then all of a sudden it's just like, okay, well, I'm good again. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I mean, he's made some adjustments, right? So so one of the things I found is, you know, the breaking balls had been behaving a little bit differently than the past, right? So actually a little bit less horizontal break than, you know, seasons past this year. Mm-hmm. Not a ton, but, you know, about an inch or less or, or more, right? And so then it's just a little bit more variable, the fastball lost a little bit of run too. And so then the gap between the two of those was closer together. And so you start to look at that kind of stuff and you say, okay, so, you know, that can maybe explain some of the location challenges because stuff's just not ending up in the same kind of places that he's used to. This is, you know, I don't have any data to back this up, but I got to wonder about guys like him too, that are, you know, they have to have really good feel to be able to spin the ball like this way. 
I wonder about, you know, all the stuff we've heard about the ball being highly variable from game yep. to game and that yeah. kind of stuff like that has to affect guys. Like, I think last time I was on, we talked a little bit about Kenta Maeda, right? And the same kind yep. of thing. It's like, you know, these guys who rely heavily on the breaking balls, if the ball's different every time, it's not going to behave the same exactly. way. And so mm-hmm. I think they're always kind of fighting that a little bit. And it takes them a little while to get there where they feel comfortable with it. Right. Just like Kevin Gosman was saying the same thing where like the ball. So yeah, like sometimes right. when I don't have a feel for that splitter and I can't do it right, I mean, yeah. it's just not doing anything. I can't do much about it. Like the ball is that bad. Exactly. But, yeah. And in Morton's in Morton's case, you know, the ball, it was just, his breaking ball in particular was behaving differently. It wasn't breaking as much. And so, you know, for a guy who, you know, got to get that down to his glove side, low and away, you know, off the plate, low and away for chases, things like that. And it's not moving that way. It's more of them end up in the middle. Right. More of them end up up. And so, you know, that's where he, he gave up a few more homers. He gave up a lot more fly balls on the curveball, that kind of stuff, where just the location wasn't what it needed to be. Right. Like, as you're mentioning right now, and as we stated before, since you've written your article, Morton's curveball has been exceptional with nearly a 50% CSW over his last three starts. You tweeted recently that his location on the curve has changed a bit. Could you explain that in more detail? I think you were about to get into that, but... Yeah. I mean, he's definitely improved that. Right. So, so, I mean, June has been pretty good for him, especially with the curveball. So he, you know, he, he had a, his, the overall line, his first two starts in June didn't look great. I think he gave up four runs one day, but it was in Colorado. So right. it's hard to know. Um, but you know, like his last two starts have been really good with a lot more strikeouts and a lot more mm-hmm. whiffs. And what I was looking at is, did he finally make some kind of an adjustment to get the ball back where it needed to be on the, you know, kind right. of in that shadow zone, you know, especially on the curveballs. And it, it really looks like he has, um, he, he's more consistently getting the curveball down there where he, where he needs it to be paired with the fastball. And so all of a sudden now the swings are back up, the whiffs are back up. Those kind of things. Um, I think I was looking earlier today. I think batters are two for 38 against his curveball in June. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a stat. Which before, which before that, I mean, it was, which is, that's more like what you expect Charlie Morton's curveball to do. Yeah, it's nasty. Um, right. I mean, it's really good, but I mean, you know, I mean, it, that's more to you. But before that, it just wasn't that way. It's like all of a sudden, you know, extra base hits and those kind of things, which he just never had really had with his curveball before. Yeah, he has like a Clayton Kershaw curveball where you just expect it to just strike everyone out because it's absolutely filthy. Yeah. What I what I think he did from an adjustment standpoint, I mean, I think he 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 dialed in that location a lot better. But the other thing I was looking for too is I was looking at this earlier today. It looks like he's made an adjustment on where he's standing on the rubber. Okay. Um he so he slid towards third base. Um and mm-hmm. like and it's actually noticeable in the data, like it's almost half a foot. So he slid over wow. probably five or five or six inches on the rubber. Um, the break hasn't changed really. So like, it's not breaking more horizontally again mm-hmm. or anything like that. So that kind of stuff is pretty much the same, but he's getting it in better places. And so something about sliding over, and, and this is really in his last two starts when he's struck out double digits both times, sure. which I don't think he had done yet this season. Um, but so there's something about that angle and, and maybe that horizontal, you know, like we we're talking about mm-hmm. that sweep, that almost slider kind of break moving, yeah. uh, changing the, changing the angle, especially probably against the right-handed batters. Um, so he's, he's been making adjustments, right. And he's starting to get the feel back a little bit and try to get that dialed in. And so he's, he's living more in that shadow zone with the curveball much better. Right. It, and I think going back to your tweet, obviously there's a podcast, we can't visually see this, but, um, that's why you should follow John, by the way. He's he tweeted a little bit about this this change that Charlie Morton's had. Um, it's interesting when you look at where he's located this curveball between, you know, April and May and June. 
and in june like the, a good chunk of those curveballs are completely outside the zone but yeah. just a little bit outside you know it's, it's coming running into the to the right-handed batters um and it's interesting that you know like changes like that where you know he's a little bit more to the right side of the rubber or what you talked about in your article about his release point is changing a little bit yeah like different mechanic things like that which frankly like as a casual baseball fan we're not going to notice no. all that much um but it's interesting how these minute things can result in Charlie Morton going from a guy that people were panicking about to, you know, striking out, what is it, like 12 batters, I think. I think 11, 11 batters. Yeah, yeah 11 batters. Yeah. The Giants, yep. which um, I think is just, yeah, really, really interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, pitching so it's so much of a, you know, it's little stuff, right? I mean, it, and it, you know, what's the old quote, right? It's all about just disrupting timing, right? And so anything, those little kinds of adjustments, you know, you're sliding a little bit on the, on the rubber to get a different angle on the breaking ball. So maybe you can land it where you want it to be more. And it, it also, you know, changes the angle for the hitter a little bit. And the other thing, he, it seems like maybe the weather's warmer or he's just getting looser a little bit, but he's got a little mm -hmm. bit more extension on, out of, on his pitches too, which maybe helps with that, that breaking ball getting finished, you know, down there where it really needs to be. There, there's different things like that, but you know, those pitchers, especially guys like him, I mean, he, you know, he's a guy that has reinvented himself multiple times. So he's a guy who's, he's, you know, you're going to bet that he's going to figure it out or find yep. the adjustment right. that's going to make him be able to be successful. And at least mm -hmm. so far in June, it looks like he's, he's done a pretty good job finding something that's working. Yeah. You also mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, his fastball has a little less run on it this season. Yeah. Um, you know, this curveball works primarily because of how it interacts with how pitchers also see his fastball. Um, Obviously, you wrote this article about the curveball. You weren't focusing on the fastball. But it, is, it has been interesting to see that the fastball's performance has improved in the past few starts. Um, is that because he's also improving the fastball in some way? Or is that more because of his adjustment to the curveball? I mean, it's it's hard to do chicken and egg there, right? Because they interplay right. off each other so much. Mm -hmm. And he's he's trying to, to pair them up. I mean, the fastball was still good early. I mean, he's still averaging 95. And the spin rate's pretty good yep. above average. And, you know, those kind of things. My guess, I, to be honest, I haven't looked at the fastball really. Because, like you said, I've been I've been focused on the curveball. But I, I think they help each other is, is more mm -hmm. than anything. And if yep. he's starting to get more comfortable in terms of release point and extension and, you know, just he's found something that works that I would, you know, it stands to reason that it kind of enhances the whole package. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that would be my guess, but I think, you know, they, they pair together and they work off each other for sure. Yeah. I think that he has to have both of those work similar to other pitchers, right? They have a tandem of pitches that it plays off one another and, I think Charlie Morton's mm -hmm. most important is obviously his curve. If he can throw that fastball in for a strike and keep it at a plane where they can respect the curveball and they have to see it take that big dip, it really matters that he's throwing the curve and the fastball in tandem and it's working perfectly. Otherwise, they just lay off the curve and take an easy walk, right? Like, they have to work together. Yeah, and, and I mean on the curveball, right? I mean, he throws a lot of them for chase, right? I mean, there's yep. not a ton of them that are called strikes. I mean, right. he can throw it for a called strike, of course, and he does, right? But, you know, you look at the heat maps and those kind of things, most of them end up not in the strike zone. Yeah. Um, and, and that's part of the strategy, right? Is they, But they all 
for almost, you know, 80% of the way to the plate, they're in the strike zone. And then all of a sudden, you know, it breaks off and it ends up just a little bit off, but it's far enough where, you know, batter can't reach it. Or if they do, they're going to hit it into the ground and, you know, those kind of things. And so that's, that's what you want. Yeah. And with these latest results that Charlie Morton has delivered, managers are probably wondering if it's time to jump on the Morton bandwagon. So we're going to play our usual game of Would You Rather with Charlie Morton. First, we'll start with Charlie Morton or Joe Ryan. Both are Twins fans here, so we'll see if it's biased at all. But John Guest, you let us know. Charlie Morton or Joe Ryan? Yeah, I, so I'd go Morton in this case. Uh, so I, full disclosure, I, I have some Morton shares in, in my own leagues, and I, I resisted any of the temptations to either deal him away or, or even drop him when it was really looking bad in May. So I, I'm a little bit biased in this one because I, I thought it was going to get better and seemed like it. But Morton in this case, I think because of the strikeouts, right? So, so Ryan's great. Um, he's probably not going to give you the same kind of workload that you're going to get from Morton, just given young pitcher and also the way the twins kind of manage their starters, I think. And, but Morton's going to strike out more batters too. So I think from a fantasy perspective, that's, that's a pretty clear one. John, what about you? Yeah, I think I lean Morton as well. I think part of it is the fear that what Joe Ryan is doing with throwing, you know, like basically 60% fastballs, like at some point it has to stop working. (laughs) I mean, that's what I think. Like, uh, at some point, hitters just realize what's coming. Um, and I then he, I will, I'll disagree a little bit on Ryan in terms of the approach, right? But sure. So finish your answer, I guess. Yeah, I, I, can do it. <laughs> I I want to see him develop that third pitch, and and so like I, I want that to happen. I, and I think he's getting he's getting there, but for the rest of season this year, at least, I think I go Morton. I don't disagree with that. I I do think I do think Ryan. I had my doubts, right? But. Uh, mm-hmm. I've written about Ryan uh, for the other site uh, for Twinkie Town as well and about the fastball in particular, right? Because there's just yeah. an example case really in baseball of a starter other than Lance Lynn, probably, which, you know, stealing some thunder here probably, but you know, that <laughs> throws that many fastballs, right? right. And, but yeah. Ryan doesn't even really throw two seamers, right? It's all four seamers, right? Yep. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's such a sneaky thing with the, it's got a really flat angle, right? Yep. It's just sort of this invisible yeah. Um, and some guys just can do that. And so I think he can, he'll give up a, you know, probably more solo homers than, than you would like, but, but he can live that way. And I think the breaking stuff is better than was advertised in his prospect yes. scouting reports yeah. um, and will hopefully and likely to still get better. But I definitely, I don't think it's really a comparison with Morton uh, in this case, but I do think, I think Ryan can survive as a starter. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm Charlie Morton all day. It's not even a discussion. I know Joe Ryan started off really well, but Joe Ryan, people like Nestor Cortez, they rely a lot on deception. They rely a lot on deceiving you with their motions, with their speed and velocity. Like they are tricky. And Joe Ryan needs that third pitch, like John said. And I, I, the other John said as well that it, it can work with just what he's doing. But in my opinion, for fantasy, Charlie Morton is just going to be more reliable throughout the rest of the season. So, I am all in the camp of Charlie Morton. I'm going to say my main thoughts on Charlie Morton, probably when we finish this segment, but I definitely pick Charlie Morton here, not to stretch this out any longer. Uh, Sorry, Joe Ryan, you're awesome and you've been great, but I'll take Charlie (laughs) from here on out. Next, we have Charlie Morton or you, Darvish. John, the guest, what's your thoughts on this one? This one's probably closer, but I I still go Morton, I think, because... Like what happened to use strikeouts? Where'd they go? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, he's got pretty good surface level numbers. I'm looking at him, you know, right now and I, you know, he, his ERA is good. The whip's good. Those kind of things, but he's not even striking out a batter in any. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. It's like well, for fantasy, you got to get the K's, man. Yeah, I I agree. I I mean, I don't want us to just go mourn the entire time this this pod, but I Darvis just has the reputation. I mean, if you read Nick's SP roundups, you know he's just the premium cherry bomb where he'll do really well for a, a string of starts, and then he'll just completely lay an egg. It just so happens that this year, those starts also aren't coming with strikeouts. Um, like looking at from last year to this year, his K per nine last year is ten point eight. This year, it's seven point two. Yeah. Um, that's just you just don't want to see that. Um, even if it is coming with maybe better metrics on some other stats. Um, yeah, in fantasy, strikeouts are 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 a must, and our Darvish just doesn't deliver there right now. This one is tough for me, and I really, really, really want to say you, Darvish, but I'm going to take a little bit of a cop-out answer here, and I think it's dependent on league settings. I think that if you're in a quality right. start league, I think I lean Darvish just because every Padres pitcher, since they're like a faux six-man rotation... They just let them go. And even if Darvish struggles a little bit and has a higher pitch count, he goes six, seven innings every single start. He actually has a quality start in eight of his last 10 starts. And the two he doesn't, he went 7.2 and 5.2. The 5.2 one, he got roughed up a little bit in Atlanta. But the 7.2 one, he just gave up four runs, not three. But I think in a quality start league, Darvish is the answer, even with that diminished strikeouts, because Mm, the quality starts are so reliable. Darvish is a good pitcher. And I think if he just gets that grip back and can generate those RPMs with, you know, the non-slick balls, I think you could see the K rate jump up because like you guys said, where did the K's go? His K percentage has always been ridiculous. His K per nines were through the roof and now they're horrible. He's got 66 strikeouts and 82 innings pitched. So not good because he had 199 in 166 last year. So it's just very strange. So I will say it's dependent. I probably lean Morton. I think I would turn it down if I was a Darvish rosterer and a manager sent me Charlie Morton for you, Darvish. I think I turn it down. So I don't know what that really says about it. I think it's kind of even, but I'd just rather stick with Darvish if you roster him. And I'd rather stick with Morton if you roster him. So this one kind of breaks even for me, but I'll give the slight favor in Charlie Morton if you need strikeouts and I'll give Darvish the slight favor if you need quality starts. I think that's fair. I they're both in tough divisions too, right? Yes. I mean, the, both the West and the East are tough. I think Absolutely. the thing with you, the thing too with you though, is that he's gotten so cutter heavy, mm-hmm. right? And that pitch just doesn't miss quite as many bats. I don't think, right? No, so it doesn't. That's that's part of where the strikeouts probably went. Is he, you mm-hmm. know, and the cutter is really good. Like, don't get me wrong, right? But it it's it, it's a different kind of game. Yeah, I completely agree with that, one hundred percent. And last but not least, Charlie Morton or Lance Lynn. John, the guest, you go first. I mean, it, there's so much risk with Lynn because is he healthy? Do we, I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, he's just coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, his velo is actually fairly down from where it was so far. And, you know, is that going to pick back up with more innings, those kind of things? Um, hard to know. I mean, obviously, I think uh, Morton and, and Lynn were probably fairly even last year when they were both, you know, really good. Um, so I would have a hard time splitting this one. I would go Morton right now just because I think there's there's less risk in terms of is he healthy, what's he going to look like the rest of the way. You have a better sample size on that. So I'd, I'd lean Morton there. Um, maybe my anti-White Sox bias shows through there too. <laughs> um, but uh, I just don't know what to expect from Lynn as part of the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like Lynn as a, a buy-low candidate just in case like, 
someone who rosters him just feels like these past two starts haven't been what they were expecting. I like both as a buy low candidate for what it's worth. <laughs> Morton True. I don't know if Morton's really buy low at this point. Yeah, but, but maybe maybe someone doesn't believe it. They're like, oh, this is his best start. Yeah. Maybe I can flip him but, for something better. So yeah, but yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the injury concern is still there for Lynn. He's he's basically two ticks lower than what he was throwing last year. Yep. Um, which is yeah. an ideal. But And I mean he's so fastball heavy too that that velo matters. Right. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see what what he does with that because he has kind of decreased the fastball usage this season in two starts. Right. right. Not 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 that we can say that's really indicative of anything. He's gone a little bit more sinker heavy this season in again in two starts. So I'm I'm not projecting anything for Lynn. Um I'll just say that I think Lynn is a better pitcher when everything is on, but it's it it feels like a coin flip to me. Um I'll just go with Lynn just to be contrarian. <laughs> yeah, so like you said, it's a coin flip, and I think the reason why it's a coin flip is because like for my preseason rankings going into this draft season, I had Lance Lynn as pitcher thirteen, SP thirteen in my rankings. Then I had Charlie Morton at 18. So that's pretty close when you just consider everything. And then I had like you Darvish at 27. So 13, 18, 27 isn't too far off. Any of them can have a better season than the other, but they're all really good pitchers, right? That's what we can really mm-hmm. deduce it down to is they're all really good and they're all going to help you in fantasy and give you something different. I guess each of them would. Lance Lynn obviously is coming off his injury. His velocity's down, as you both mentioned, and it's tough. And I don't know, because once again, what's funny is I actually roster Lynn and Darvish in the same league. And I don't think I would trade either for Charlie Morton, but I might trade Lynn more than Darvish for Morton. So I I guess I'll go Morton. I, I really don't know when it's this sort of scenario. I really don't know. But a lot of people, I think, don't remember that Morton is a legitimate ace. The past few seasons, he's been so good. And he won me championships last year for buying low on him when he was terrible just like in this scenario where if you bought low on him during his really rough stretch you probably are looking really good right now because he is an ace he is someone that returns you really good value so regardless of if you have darvish or lynn i think getting charlie morton if you can get him for a reduced cost i know right now his last four starts have been amazing but if you can get him for any reduced cost you are buying a legitimate fantasy ace so I go Morton here. It's tough because, once again, Lynn can be great if his velocity goes back up, which I think is just a factor of him not pitching for a month and a half, the balls being different, his building back up like it's spring training still. So I give him a pass on the velocity for now because it's not like it's bad, bad. It's just a mile and a half, two miles slower. So it's not too bad, but I guess I go Morton. It's hard because I don't want to go Morton for all of them. (laughs) <laughs> but it kind of would be that way right now, just because I think everyone has their own concerns, right? Joe Ryan with the third pitch, you Darvish's strikeout rate, Lance Lynn's injury history. So I guess you have a little bit of concern for everybody. So I guess I'll take Morton. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, I think with Lynn right now, I think if some, if I had Lance Lynn and someone offered me Morton, I might take that trade. It's so tough because you sat on Lynn for so long. You know what I mean? Like we sat, we're waiting for him. And then we just, what? We have the first two starts that he does and his velocity is a little bit down. It's not the greatest. We're like, yeah, get rid of him. And then I think you regret (laughs) that in the long run. But I agree with it too. Like if someone offered me, I would think about it. Mm-hmm. I usually tend to decline that because I like to stick with my guy, especially waiting a month. I never like trading a guy when he's about to come back from the injury list, unless he has a deep injury history where he might get injured right. again easily. But 
in that scenario, I just hold on to my guy, but it's something I would think about for sure. And I think it's a, a valid discussion to have as well. But that wraps up the interview on John's article, Digging into Charlie Morton's Uncle Charlie. John, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming back on the show a second time. We were happy to have you. Please let the people know what your Twitter is and anything else that you'd like to plug. Some thanks, guys. I really appreciate uh, the conversation and, and being back on. It's always good to talk with you guys. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, at uh, John Foley underscore 21. Uh, it's a lot of twin stuff. I'll warn you in advance, but I also <laughs> tweet about other stuff based on you know things that we're writing about and looking at. So um, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So once again, follow John Foley on Twitter. That's J-O-H-N-F-O-L-E-Y underscore 21. Follow him on Twitter. You'll see all things twins and fantasy baseball article related. So John, once again, thank you for joining us on the show. Now let's get into the streamers for the weekend. John, let them know what you picked out this week. Yeah, uh, I am not too confident about these guys, but uh, it's kind of who was available. So uh, start up with Saturday. We got Brad Keller of the Royals going against the A's. He's 8% rostered on ESPN, 10% rostered on Yahoo. Keller has not been particularly good this season, but against the A's hey, last week. Hey, that's mean, man. I've been pretty good this season. I've been doing good oh, on this podcast. So, sorry. Sorry. Brad <laughs> Keller. <laughs> Brad <laughs> Keller. Yeah, your long lost cousin, Brad yeah, Keller. Yeah, it's a shame that there's a Brad Keller and a Mitch Keller, and I'm not related to either of them. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Well, just just need another Lee Keller to, to play good baseball. Yeah. Game. Yeah. yeah we, maybe me. Can maybe, I can try it. out for the Mets. There you go. Yeah. Good pinch runner. Uh, I promise. Oh, yeah. There, that's that's the idea. <laughs> uh, Starling Marte needs someone to pick up the steel slack. Yeah, right? yeah so. I got him. I won't get caught ever. Yeah, exactly. Well, against these A's last week, Brad Keller went seven innings with one hit. No one runs in six Ks. So it's a pretty good start. Uh, he consistently goes deep in games, though, which is, you like to see. Uh, he's getting like six, seven innings usually for every start. So it's not surprising for him to get a quality start against the A's. Uh, that's kind of the main reason I like this because the A's are bad. And even though Brad Keller isn't great, um, if you get a quality start out of a stream, that's pretty nice. And then Brady Singer of the Royals also. I don't want to pick two Royals pitchers in a row, but you know when they have a weekend series against the A's, that's kind of who you go with. Brady Singer is 11% rostered on ESPN, 24% rostered on Yahoo, so he's supposedly a little bit better according to the consensus. Uh, Singer does have a pretty decent ground ball rate, and the A's are fifth worst in the league in ground ball rate, so hopefully that just kind of works out there. Uh, so depending on the defense behind Singer, this could be a pretty decent start as well. The one clip with Singer, though, is that unlike his Royals counterpart Keller, he doesn't always go deep, so I don't know if this is really going to get you the quality start, uh, but it's a stream, so... Quality starts a bonus. It's a cherry on top if you can get it. And then Eric Fetty of the Nationals uh, goes against the Pirates on Monday. He's 1% rostered on ESPN, 3% on Yahoo. You already know this if you follow Nick and read his articles. Don't trust the Fetties. Uh, <laughs> he did just pitch six shutout innings against the Orioles. So it's not out of the question that he could do the same thing against the Pirates. Uh, but seriously, only do this if you're in dire need of a start. Again, why would you stream on Monday unless you're in a roto league? And then, really, if you're in a roto league, why would you stream Eric Fetty? So, yeah, yeah that, that's that's all I've got to say about the streamers this weekend. Yeah, I love the double Royals against the A's. Brad Keller and Brady Singer both have been serviceable this year. They've both been good. They have decent upside at the very least. And against yep. the Athletics, it doesn't take much to have a good start against them. So, no. I like both of those picks very much. And Eric Fetty, he has his sparks and moments that he's good. And hey, mm -hmm. the Pirates aren't good. I do like the Pirates a little bit more now because they got big top prospect, Bly Madris. Right. I mean, O'Neal Cruz. <laughs> so yeah. I, I do like their lineup a little bit more now. Brian Reynolds woke up a little bit. So 
once again, this is probably the most dangerous one, Eric Fetty against the Pirates, but yeah, what are you going to expect out of a guy who's 1% rostered on ESPN and 3% on Yahoo? He's not rostered for a reason, because he's not yep. very good. Sorry, Eric, don't mean to be mean to you, but he's not very good. So probably avoid that stream, but if you need a guy, that's your guy. But that is it for the streamers for the weekend. Hopefully you take those into consideration if you're looking to stream. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Before you go, Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, that's T-H-I-S-W-E-E-K-P-L, or send us your comments and questions at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Tweet at us, email us, we want to hear from you, so please do that. You can also find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and you can find myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed and follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcast at. And if you enjoyed, please leave a five-star review. It allows other people to know that this show is good and worth listening to, so please do that as well. And last but not least, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the Pitcherless Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. It's a great thing to sign up for. It's a great thing to have. So make sure you do that. But That is all for this week. We'll be back next week recapping another week in fantasy baseball. For John, I am Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. (laughs) 